take this podcast as it comes. Dirty, broken, uneducated, just like me. Okay. Welcome to Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? I'm your host, Des, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Philip. <laughs> Karate Man Bruce on the inside. That's what I've been told. And joining us again, the podcast with the fully packed bong, Pat. Christmas, huh? I'll give him a Christmas present he'll never forget. This week, <laughs> we will be discussing the 1983 comedy, Trading Places. Written by Herschel Weingrod and Timothy <laughs> Harris. <laughs> Directed by John Landis. It stars Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, and as always, this podcast will contain spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it, then come back and listen to the podcast. And now it is time for another installment of Disaster Peace Theater. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater, where me and my two co-hosts will act out one scene from the movie that we are reviewing for you this evening. So please, sit back, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Think big, think positive, never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat, buy low, sell high. Fear? That's for the other guy. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you are about to witness. Super Bowl? The World Series? They know nothing about pressure. This building is either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute you're up a half a million in soybeans. The next minute, boom, your kids don't go to college and they repossess your Bentley. Are you with me? Yeah, we gotta kill the motherfuckers. We gotta kill them. It is time for Dez's four and one fun fake fact, where it will be up to my two co-hosts to figure out which fact is total bullshit. Fact number one. It was originally a vehicle for Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder titled Black and White. Number two. The screenwriters hung out with drunk traders for research. Number three. Landis didn't even know who Eddie Murphy was before the filming. Number four, the frozen orange juice scandal in the movie was based on an actual scandal that took place in 1977. And number five, Lewis's arrest numbers are a tribute to John Belushi as it is the same arrest number used in the Blues Brothers. So in the mugshot of Lewis, it's the same arrest number as the mugshot of John Belushi in the Blues Brothers. Dylan, which of these facts do you think is bullshit? I gotta be honest with you, I have no friggin' clue. 
Um, so I'm going to just take a stab in the dark. Let's say uh, number one. Number one. And Pat, what do you got? What was number two again? The screenwriters hung out with drunken traders for research. Yeah, that's number two. Okay. The actual fact is, uh, the fake fact is number four, uh, frozen orange juice scandal was never a real thing. Uh, Delin, I would like to take a stab in the dark later if you're up for it. Oh, God. <laughs> Ew. Okay. God. <laughs> Why? Mark that. Okay. Um, God, let's do us. some opening thoughts. God, I just, I just no. Like if there was a chance, <laughs> you just destroyed it. You nuked it like you were on U five seven one. Shit. Nice. Oh god. Okay. Fire. Um. <laughs> All right. Let's do some quick opening thoughts. So I remember seeing the commercial for this when I was thirteen years old. And specifically the two scenes they showed in the trailer, as I remember it, um, was Eddie suggesting to the two cops uh, to use their nightstick. Master, just use nightstick offices. And uh, the second scene they showed was, is there a problem offices? And I remember at 13 years old, just thinking this was the funniest thing I'd ever seen and like just wanting to see this. And I also, at around the same time, another... Um, commercial for a movie that I think was airing right about the same time as this was uh, Dudley Moore in Arthur. And another scene in the commercial was take my hand, but that would leave you with one. And for some reason, I remember thinking that was just hilarious as a 13 year old. And uh, I did see both of these movies in the theater. <laughs> so. Dylan, what do you got? Uh, so I think we should just go ahead and get it out there that the movie is incredibly racist. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you can't have this movie without racism being a topic because racism is the topic. Right. The whole, you know, um, nurture, nurture versus nature thing is the topic of the movie. It's the it's the bedrock of the movie. Um, yeah. So, you know, having these incredibly bigoted main characters is important to the story. Um, of course, you know. I didn't remember Dan Aykroyd doing blackface. So when he came in the room, I almost died. Oh boy. <laughs> I forgot. I just was like, oh, I was like, oh my God, no. But um, I kind of read up a thing where he was like, yeah, you know, I, I regret doing it now. He goes, you know, we had Eddie Murphy and his entire entourage on the set. And nobody said, hey, that's not a good idea. He goes, but you know, now I would never do it. So, yeah. you know, it was uh, a interesting choice, but yeah. Well, I mean, now this, you couldn't do it. This no, it was movie, a different time. It was a different time, but, obviously. But but you could do it because uh, uh, what's Robert Downey Jr. did it again in Tropic Thunder. I mean, yeah. it's been done over and over. I mean, you look at a movie like um, Blazing Saddles, you know? I mean, well, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. I know, but I'm saying this isn't like, I mean, this has been done. This has been yeah. done. Uh, it's not just insulting to uh, on a racial standpoint it's insulting to women it's mm. insulting to old rich white men it's insulting to everybody yeah. like they no like, it's true whoever they didn't, told, they didn't this, there was no holds bars and when it came to picking fun of people like everybody yeah. got it oh they're just making everybody look like shit <laughs> 
it's fucking it's just creep city i mean we actually have a a gorilla raping a man in a gorilla suit <laughs> naughty granella right granella naughty granella <laughs> oh god okay pat what do you got on this one the vanilla granilla yeah oh god it. this was only eddie murphy's second movie yeah and to to have one of his best movies only be his second movie mm-hmm. you had to know then he was going through the roof yeah yeah not to jump forward but in that final scene on the dock with the two dock workers um and the guy says you know one gorilla but there's two gorillas in there and he says yeah one gorilla two gorillas what's the difference you know and then the one guy has an unusual amount of information he's like well it's a scientific experiment they're sending them all back to africa i'm like what the fuck like what I don't know. And you and you and you give me grief about the one thing about the white eyes and the man in the gorilla suit and you're giving <laughs> and you're doing the same thing I just did. There's so many there's so many things to wonder about. There's so about. much silliness to this. There's so many uh, things that don't make sense. Like, you know, uh, you know, Dan Aquin, I have a hundred thousand dollars in that bank. He'd have a million and a half dollars in that bank if he was who they're saying he is in the movie. Uh, Wall Street trader like that, he's making $300,000 a year all day Easily. long. He's Easily. not paying rent, presumably, because he doesn't own the fucking the brownstone. brownstone. No. Uh, he doesn't drive. He's not paying. Like Every penny this man makes would be going into that bank. Uh, so many things don't make sense. So you can't ask questions. You just yeah, can't. You, you have to take this movie as a silly comedy and and run and just let it take you where it goes. Yeah. I mean, Eddie goes from being one step from like a completely demented homeless person to like, uh, selling to me that he is a Harvard grad. I mean, his entire character changes in 20 minutes in this movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, all right, let's do this. Glenn, give us the synopsis. I will. Uh, the other thing I want to say is $100,000 in 1983 is the equivalent of about $300,000 today. So, yeah, that's still for what he was doing for work and the kind of money he was bringing in. A not, shitload of cash. Yeah, he should have had more than that in the bank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes like a to spend. It made a little more sense, I guess. Yeah. At, but still, it felt like that guy is a millionaire. Yeah, he should be, honestly. And I why mean, is Jamie Lee Curtis, like, why would a, a girl from a small town, a small mining town you've never heard of, why are you going to Chicago to to get on your back and make this money as a hooker? Like, why wouldn't you go to, I don't know, Los Angeles? It's well, Philadelphia. first off, she's going to, yeah, I was just going to say, they're not in <laughs> Chicago, dumbass. They're in okay. Philadelphia. How many times have you seen this movie? Good God. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I Two mean, minutes ago. You'd think the Liberty Bell would give it away, but you know. Oh, Never right. mind the statue of Rocky. I mean, that's that doesn't tell you where you are either. Was that in the movie? Yes. yes. Okay. Give us the oh. synopsis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hundreds of times. Seen it hundreds of times. Hundreds. hundreds. Literally hundreds. hundreds. All right. So the, here's our synopsis. Upper crust executive Lewis Winthorpe III and down and out hustler Billy Ray Valentine are the subjects of a bet by successful and grossly bigoted brokers Mortimer and Randolph Duke. An employee of the Dukes, Winthorpe is framed by the brothers for a crime he didn't commit, with the siblings then installing the street-smart Valentine into his position. When Winthorpe and Valentine uncover the scheme, they set out to turn the tables on the Dukes. 
All right, let's do this thing. Scene breakdown. The, uh, the Dukes make a good mayo. The Dukes make a great mayo. If you haven't had Dukes mayo, get yourself some. It really elevates a sandwich. Okay. The Duke brothers, Randolph and Mortimer, own Duke and Duke, a successful commodities brokerage in Philadelphia. What gave it away? Holding opposing views on the nature versus nature issue. <laughs> <laughs> they make a wager and agree to conduct an experiment, switching the lives of two people at opposite sides of the social hierarchy and observing the results. They witness an encounter between their managing director, the well-mannered, cultured, and educated Lewis Winthorpe III, engaged to Duke's niece, Penelope, and a poor African-American street hustler named Billy Ray Valentine. Valentine is first seen as a dirt-poor con artist who pretends to be blind and paralyzed from the waist down, rolling around the streets of Philly begging for money when he has a run-in with Winthorpe outside his office building after being chased out of Fairmont Park by two police officers who order him to stop panhandling. Valentine gets arrested at... The racist Winthorpe's insistence because of a suspected robbery attempt. The Dukes decide to use the two men for their experiment, settling on the usual amount for their bet. The plan involves two specific objectives. Valentine must become successful and employed for the Dukes. And Lewis must become <laughs> destitute and branded a criminal. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully that was clear and easy to follow. And about an hour and a half long. Okay. So these opening scenes, right off the bat, the first opening scene, Lewis getting ready for work. So director did such a good job in this movie of letting us know who we hate and who we like. And I don't even know how I ever got on board with Lewis again. Like, he's such a cunt. In these <laughs> opening scenes, he is so soft. This is a man that can't shave himself. This is a man that can't, not only can't dress himself, can't even pick out his own fucking clothes. And then the final nail in the I hate Lewis coffin is when he goes out and uh, Coleman is locking the door and he gets to the edge of the, the street where the car is and he's going to stand there and just wait. He is not going to open the door and get in that car. Oh, fuck him. A loser. <laughs> Uh, Dylan, what do you got? So I really appreciated how they do this thing where they start the movie and they're just showing you shots of Philadelphia. They're not really showing you like anything in one direction or the other. It's like some touristy spots, the Liberty Bell, the Rocky statue, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden they're showing you, you know, kids playing hoop in the streets and then Lewis getting his uh, orange juice freshly squeezed for him. Yeah. And then you're watching like people going to work on the train. And then you're watching Lewis, you know, having being woken gently in the morning with his newspaper. Like it's like, okay, like it starts setting up this this class divide yep. right out of the gate before you even meet the characters, you know? Right. And I really yeah. appreciated how they did that because it started like just kind of touristy. This is Philadelphia. And slowly but surely it gets the divide gets further and further apart until you're just in the scene with Lewis and Coleman getting ready for work. And, um, and then, of course, you know, 
the the two Duke brothers in their gigantic mansion. And the, all the, the domestics are lined up to say, good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Oh. Duke. Good morning. And it's like, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> I hate them just as much as I hate Lewis. Like, it's like these guys are just assholes. Like, oh, they're monsters. Like, like, like no, like humanity whatsoever. Just money has spoiled these people to, to, to just grossness, you know? And yeah. I really, you see that in, you know, like the car and the, 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 the driver that doesn't even speak to either one of them. He just drives. He doesn't speak ever no. through the entire movie, you know? Yeah. Even when spoken to, he doesn't speak. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Pat, what do you got? Lewis Winthorpe is one of those characters you have to hate. He is a pampered poodle of a pussy. Okay. <laughs> yes. there's, there's no other way to put it. Um, I love how um, Lewis is, is his money and his way of life is is like nothing anyone else has. I mean, nobody has that kind of a life. It's it's just too far fetched. It's too extreme. And then you throw the opposite with Valentine in the park and. You you already know he's a con man, but when when he starts telling the cops that he was in Vietnam and he's making up names, I was in Sang Bang and Bang Agent Dong Orange, and, and uh, my, my name was Agent Orange. That was me, Agent Orange, and I was yeah. in tears. But um, what 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 ices it for the cops is he says he stepped on a landmine and he was airborne. airborne. They're like airborne, huh? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it it was too funny. Um. The Dukes are by far the most hateable villains you can find for their age group. It's just horrifying seeing yeah. the servants lined up as they're going out. And they, everyone's, good morning, Mr. Duke. Good morning, Mr. Duke. They don't even acknowledge them. They don't look at them. They don't acknowledge them in any way, shape, or form. You couldn't possibly have a lower form of life in their eyes. It's right. you you want to hate them. And even as the, as the scene progresses, even you find that Coleman can't stand them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Butler. Coleman yeah. can't stand them. Well, um, we're gonna get to that. that yeah, that's, that's character why I didn't building. Want to go any further than that, character yeah. building done perfectly. We also have the scene where they're in the club, and the guy brings them their milk because yeah. of course Ezra. they're drinking Ezra. milk. Ezra, Ezra. Ezra. gives and them yeah. the milk. Yeah. The five dollar bill is his Christmas bonus. I guess I'll go to the movies by myself. And and of course, more um, uh, Mortimer. Half of it is from me. And thank you, oh, Mr. Mortimer. he says and thank you mr mortimer oh my god that is so good you can see him like being like fuck you under his breath as he walks away absolutely (laughs) absolutely and one thing i like to bring up i'd only really noticed it because i was looking for it but did you notice that not one person working in the heritage club was white every single one of them oh yeah black uh, oh yeah, yeah. There's, that is I'm, like that is like the racist worship temple. It was yes. unbelievable as they're getting ready for their meeting. All the tuxedos, every one of them, are black men. I'm like, you gotta be kidding you. I mean, they couldn't have made 
Dukes more racist if they try. Yeah, and there is that scene too when they all go into that uh, meeting room and they make a point of showing you the oil paintings on the wall and it's all old white men. Every single one of them. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, the Dukes don't lie when uh, Winthorpe brings the payroll and they find the check for Clarence Beaks and they say, uh, it's for it's for secret research. Like it is secret research. That's yeah, not oh, a lie, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, the police see Billy Ray bump into Winthorpe. Like they're watching all of this happen. They know he's not trying to rob them. It's it's that kind of like I was like, wait, like what? They they just watched this whole thing happen. I mean, I don't know. It was a little weird. This whole scene. Um, I love when they take Eddie away. In the police car. And this is one of two times he's going to break the third wall in the movie. Fourth he wall, looks yeah. over at the camera as he's driving away. Awesome. It's, it's fucking great. Um, and the look on his face just says, I can't fucking believe it. It's great. And then the second time he breaks the third wall is coming up later in the movie. We'll get to it. I'm actually um, at that scene now. Yeah. So the Dukes decide they're going to destroy not only Winthorpe's life, but also their niece Penelope's life. Uh, it, it feels like they're just, these are, they're monsters. They're just like I was saying, this is a fucking horror movie. Okay. (laughs) If you really break it down, these two guys are like, this is frightening the way these people are treating family, friends, they're just going to destroy lives for their own entertainment. And it's nuts. Um, so back at the condo. Uh, Winthorpe is having dinner with Penelope after this whole thing goes down and Coleman's making them crepes and Winthorpe is, uh, you know, spinning his bullshit tale to Penelope about, you know, (laughs) how it's kill or be killed. And Coleman knows it's such bullshit. He's rolling his eyes and we're starting to realize that Coleman is a good guy and we're going to like Coleman in this movie. And then it's, it's reconfirmed when he gets the call from the Dukes and, you know, he calls them <laughs> scumbags before he hangs the bone up. What a scumbag. And, yeah. And we say, okay, th- this is a good guy. And this is good character building. They do it throughout the whole movie. We're very clear who we're supposed to like and who we're supposed to dislike um, in this movie. So yeah, good stuff. Uh Next day, Winthorpe attends a meeting at his gentleman's club. Moments before the meeting, an operative working for the Dukes, Clarence Beak, slips money into Winthorpe's coat pocket. At the meeting, he has exposed himself to everybody with his pee-pee out as a thief. (laughs) When the cash is found... What? He doesn't say that. doesn't say that. What it actually says is, the next day, Winthorpe attends a meeting at his gentleman's club. Moments before the meeting, an operative working for the Dukes, Clarence Beak, slips some money into Winthorpe's coat pocket. Dot. At the meeting, he is exposed as a thief when the cash is found on his person. He is fired from his job. His bank accounts are frozen. He is treated roughly during his processing at the police precinct. When Penelope shows up to collect him, he is accosted by a prostitute, Ophelia who was paid to do so by Beaks. He is later denied entry to the Duke's own townhome, where he resides by his long-serving butler, Coleman, who pretends not to recognize Lewis and is informed 
his bank account is frozen and his credit cards will have to be repossessed. He is thrown out of the bank and onto the street, pleading with Ophelia to help him. He reminds her that he has helped whoever is trying to ruin his life. She agrees to let him stay in her slum apartment until he can pay her back a f- five figures to turn his misfortune around. He discovers that Ophelia is a very smart, business-minded woman who has a lot of money invested in several securities, hoping to one day retire comfortably with presumably an STD. <laughs> oh, God. I don't I know, man. That didn't make like any that, sense. Right? None of that made any sense. This podcast is dying. Dying at my fucking hands. <laughs> well, um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the police captain is Frank Oz. Mm-hmm. Yes, he yeah. is. And apparently, uh, this is where you see the police department is corrupt. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Because Beaks definitely gets his hooks in there for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This scene in uh, the in the jail cell. Oh, this is like Eddie Murphy at his very best. This could be better than Axel Foley. He is on fire in this scene. And he's got these two little cronies that are backing him up and playing off his comedy. So, yeah, what is your ignorant? The phone in the limo is busted. I mean, these guys are fucking great. And the two big guys are great. Oh, so many great lines. You know who you messing with on the fourth floor? Cell 16. Billy Valentine? Yeah, that's me. I mean, it's it's <laughs> fucking great. It's great. I and found- as a martial artist, I can confirm that karate men do, in fact, bruise on the inside. I and read also that, on the outside. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I read that um, the quarter of blood technique that he did, that he uh, demonstrated mm-hmm. that was all ad lib. Really? That was all Eddie Murphy's ad lib. Oh, that's um, so good. I can't remember what else he did. Uh, there was something else that he ad-libbed. Um, but as soon as I read that the quarter blood technique was ad-libbed, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I can see yeah. that totally happening with him just running through that craziness in his head. Oh, it's so good. Those men wanted to have sex with me. Oh. <laughs> and when and when, when Lewis, uh, the cop goes to the cell to get Lewis out, you notice every single one in that cell with him is wearing an article of his clothing. Yes. Oh, one guy's so putting the good. jacket on. <laughs> one guy's putting the jacket on as the cell comes into frame. He's oh. sitting on the floor, beaten and bruised, and everybody's wearing something. Pants, shoes, jacket, shirt. It was absolutely hysterical. Oh, God. It is fucking great. And when Penelope is waiting... Uh, for him and the guy that your purse that's a nice what purse. a gorilla oh, and she's spraying gorilla. her perfume on him <laughs> no that was the guy clipping his toenails oh god yes <laughs> penelope do you know where i've been for the last 24 been? hours those men wanted to have sex oh, with me oh god it's so good I mean, they bent me over oh the whole the whole booking scene you know uh do you know who One, you're talking to? Strip yeah. little shit. Oh, it's so good. One cellophane bag. That's not mine. 
Um, so you are you this- are dealing in heroin, not heroin. It was angel dust, PCP. And I never even had my hands on the stuff. <laughs> I never had my hands on it. I know it. Yeah, it's all great. And he almost talks his way back into Penelope's good grace, but uh, yeah. That's sure that didn't happen. Yeah. And now I have a question. So you've got this prostitute asking him for dime bags and start trying to perform fellatio on him on the front steps of the Philadelphia police department steps. (laughs) (laughs) Don't think this is going to fly. No cops are even looking. But the face Dan Aykroyd made when her head went off camera was perfect. It was. It was. Yeah, this is this is Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy at their very best. So apparently, apparently this movie uh, revitalized Aykroyd's career. And I hate to rub salt in an open wound, but apparently Dr. Detroit and neighbors almost killed his career. (laughs) Oh, God. Wow. You got that boost up, huh? Woo. Jesus. Was it that loud? Sorry. Yes, it a little was. Bit. That was the good. La- yeah. The laugh was good, but it was warranted. <laughs> Holy Sorry. shit. I read um, that and I was really surprised by that, to be honest with you, because everything Des said about neighbors uh, was apparent bullshit. That fucking movie is fucking amazing. It's fucking to terrible. To oh, you. Fuck it. The it's rest a, of the it, world hated it, apparently. Yeah, Tony liked it. <laughs> All right, the rest okay. of the world except Tony. So... This scene when Eddie gets bailed out and he meets the Dukes for the first time, they're trying to lure him in the car. Whiskey, all you can drink. I'm just like, oh my god. So this is this this could be the beginning of a true horror movie. Okay, oh, yeah. Like clearly, fucking Billy Ray Valentine never saw the movie Us by Jordan Peele. Like, do not get into that car. Do not get into that car. Okay. <laughs> Fucking yeah, it's it's terrifying. All these scenes are just like, oh my god, uh, my stomach was like turning. I was crawling. They're getting them into the jacuzzi. Like, <laughs> dude, they're gonna kill you. Don't. Holy shit! <laughs> I don't know where the fuck you come up with that. It was all terrifying. These two crazy old rich, crazy white guys are trying to like lure this like all but homeless black men into their car and take them home like what is you've got to be thinking like what do I, these wouldn't guys want I wouldn't trust it i wouldn't i wouldn't trust it no, of course not red flags no. everywhere red flags Hell everywhere no. but Don't i'm not seeing but i'm not seeing butcher knives yet okay <laughs> yet okay um, i don't know coleman's got something up his sleeve <laughs> okay uh ostracized by an abandoned Penelope and his former friends who believe the trumped up charges against him. Winthorpe turns his attention to Valentine, whom he believes set him up. Meanwhile, claiming to operate as an assistance program for the underprivileged, the Dukes bail Valentine out of jail, install him in Winthorpe's position at the company and give him use of Winthorpe's home. Meanwhile, Valentine quickly becomes prized employee of the Dukes. Valentine has the street savvy attitude that could make them millions while trading stocks on the market. Billy Ray demonstrates his talent by earning the Dukes a hefty amount 
on his first day at work, giving them advice on how to set the price for pork belly commodities. Mortimer <laughs> tries to trick Billy Ray into stealing his money clip, but Valentine hurries to return the money to the man. Oh, my God. So this, oh, all these scenes are just, it's in, this movie is crazy, okay? This movie is insane. Uh, <laughs> fucking, first of all, I love the, this is bacon that you might find in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. And this is where we oh, get the second wall so break good. where Eddie just looks over and I'm laughing out loud. This is great <laughs> the, the funniest part about it is, is as Randy's explaining this to him, the camera is on Eddie Murphy's face. And all you hear is Randolph telling him, explaining this to him off camera. So the his face is looking up at Randolph and as soon as he's made a fool of, he looks right at the camera. And again, it said, it said, I can't fucking believe this look. Now, we're going to try to explain to you what we do here. And he gets it. He says, you guys are a couple of bookies. Now, what I thought was interesting about this was I thought it would be easier for Billy Ray to understand what they did than it would be for these two old rich fucks to know what a bookie is and what a bookie does. Like, I thought that might go over the Duke's heads, but they get it. And this is where we start getting this dramatic character change in Eddie Murphy. So he goes from a guy that is like, so like, he's not really street smart because his hustle is like dragging himself around in a little box with his knuckles on the ground, pretending to be a ex vet and begging for change. This isn't a good street hustle. Okay. And, <laughs> and he's not, doesn't appear to be a very intelligent person in the beginning of this movie. And now suddenly he's setting the fucking price for pork bellies and he's talking like, like very sophisticated and it's a dramatic character change and it almost doesn't work. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, you definitely, he's, he's speaking their language back to them pretty quickly. You yes, know, thank you. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, and it's like for the for the interest of the movie, you kind of have to let it go. But in reality, yeah, nah, not so and much. And there's no way you're shoehorning Dan Aykroyd into those custom suits that Eddie Murphy's wearing. OK, Eddie Murphy is a slight <laughs> man compared to Dan Aykroyd. Like those would be floods. Dan Aykroyd's like six two. Eddie Murphy's like five seven. I'm like, mm, I don't think those are fucking I don't think those are Winthorpe suits. The, uh, the good thing about um, when Valentine, uh, he said, says he can set the price for pork bellies and his rational explanation of the average Joe. Yeah. Actually, mm -hmm. yes. Pans out for his background. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to have the money to buy my, my kid, the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. And my wife's not going to want to fuck. My wife's not going to want to make love to me because I ain't got no money. Yeah. And they're all out there. They're all going going batshit and they're screaming sale sale and right. this is this is where your average joe knows what is happening on the street that the the brokers and the rich fat cats like the dukes would never understand but he doesn't even feel like an average joe to me like he doesn't have a wife he doesn't have a kids he doesn't have a home he doesn't have a job he doesn't have any clothes he's just like i don't even know he's, he's street smart 
and he shows that ah. in that scene. He doesn't feel street smart to me. I don't know. It works, but it works, yeah. but and it's... you've watched this hundreds of times. Why? Why? I don't know. Why did <laughs> you watch it a hundred times? Because it clearly sounds like you don't like it. I well, love before it. we move on, I would definitely like to also talk about this uh, the scene at the tennis club or whatever it is with oh, these yeah. fucking douche canoes. <laughs> oh, God, the stupid song. The whole thing made me just want to vomit. It was so cringy and ridiculous. I just, ugh. I Constance hate every. Fry, I hate Constance them Fry, anytime you'd call. Constance could fulfill you your him? needs. Winter, spring, or fall. <laughs> All I had to see. On the ball. All I had to see was the back of Todd with that fucking sleeveless sweater and the <laughs> collar up on his shirt. And I'm like, oh my God. If Lewis is a pampered little poodle of a pussy, then these four are the exact same. It's horrifying. Just, yeah. the, just the way the one actress, and she stepped on the ball. She couldn't. She, I mean, it's like, what did you, you make her out of the first class mold? Because just the way she said the words, uh, um, the tone of her voice was annoying. It was I unbelievable. Have, I have trouble believing that a man like Winthorpe doesn't have like rainy day money stuffed in a sock somewhere or uh, <laughs> offshore. I mean, just how can he have nothing? If he had nothing. money stuffed in a sock somewhere, it's in a drawer in that house he can't get into. Listen, there's no way this guy doesn't have access to 10 bucks. Okay. No, it's not possible. It's not possible. None of this is possible. This is a fever dream. Okay. Uh, <laughs> during the film's during the firm's annual Christmas party, Winthorpe, disguised as Santa Claus, is caught planting drugs in Valentine's desk. Period. Caught in the act, he flees after brandishing a pistol at Valentine. Fulfilling the criminal act that the Dukes had as an objective in their scheme. Meanwhile, Valentine hides in the men's room stall to smoke a joint of marijuana that he took from the drugs that he was tossing into the garbage can. The Dukes enter the washroom, unaware of his presence, discuss the detail, the outcome of their experiment, and settle their wager for their agreed-upon amount, one dollar. Valentine overhears the exchange and seeks out Winthorpe when he hears that the Dukes plan to let Winthorpe become destitute and that they plan to eject Valentine following a plan. They have to use his talents to corner the stock market on a specific trade commodity, realizing both he and Winthorpe are being manipulated over a dollar bet. He runs out of the building, tracking Winthorpe down to Ophelia's apartment. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, question. Are you okay? Do you need do you need to take a break? There's spit all over my desk again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so question. If Valentine overhears this plan in the bathroom, right? Let's let's just say he overhears this, but instead of them saying they're gonna they're done with Winthorpe, he's a fucking loser now. But Valentine's been doing a pretty good job. What do you say we just keep him on? What do you think Valentine does? He stays on and keeps making his money. Yeah, fuck Winthorpe. That guy's a cunt. 
I'm yeah. staying on. And uh, yeah, that's that's that. But he doesn't like that he's going to be sent back to uh, the streets. Back and, to the ghetto. Um, back to the ghetto. So he decides that he is going to, uh, you know, cue in Winthorpe and hatch his own plan. Uh, these are all, you know, we, we missed the, um, the scene at the pawn shop where oh, Bo goes Diddley. In, yeah, he goes in with his watch and, and, and pawns it off for a gun to Bo Diddley. <laughs> so good. He goes, this tells time and seven times or schnod in Philadelphia is worth 50 bucks. <laughs> great. It's great stuff. Hey, how much is the gun? And the look on Bo Diddley's face. You, I actually thought his glasses might have been like thicker to magnify yeah. him because his eyes looked huge when oh, he looked great. up at, at Winthorpe after he was asked about the gun. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking phenomenal. It really is. Um, I did want to say that the budget of this movie was $15 million and the box office gross was $120 million, which we know back then would be about $357 million. So a lot made a lot of money, made a lot of money. Uh, what else you guys got on these scenes? Uh, Christmas party. Oh, and, and Winthorpe um, is going to kill himself. He is. Uh, yeah. This is very similar to lethal weapon. When Riggs pulls the trigger and is only stopped by Murtaugh, he commits suicide for all purposes. I mean, he does. And, Winthorpe commits suicide here. And the only reason he doesn't die is because the gun jams. So this is dark comedy. I mean, dude, this movie is oh, yeah. dark. Yes, this it is. This movie is dark. But it's uh, a handful it, of pills. I mean But that scene, but that scene finished with the gun. It's it's like the ultimate downfall of Winthorpe. This is he has hit rock bottom. There's a yeah. dog urinating on him. The dog walks away whimpering. I yeah. mean, holy shit. It starts to pour. The gun doesn't go off. He throws the gun. It goes off and breaks yep. a window. The dog pisses like, yeah. on him. The, when the dog pissed on him and he looks down on the dog. But the fact that the dog is whimpering as it walks away made me laugh twice as hard. Yeah, and uh, eating the salmon like through oh. his dirty beard. It's so good. Oh. And, so and, when, and when Billy Ray sees him at the end of the hallway in the Duke's building, this ah, is, oh, ah. with those white boots. It's so good. Yeah. It's so fucking good. And, um, it, and it's actually, it's so funny. It helps you forget that when, when, when Billy Ray sees Lewis at the end of the hall, Lewis growls at him like the Grinch and walks out the stumbles out the door. And yeah. Billy Ray runs down to the door. How is it Yeah, that when Billy Ray gets out on the street, Winthorpe is nowhere to be found? Absolutely yeah, nowhere to be. The man is drunk off his ass. He can barely fucking walk. Yet he can make it down the block to get no. picked up by the bus. The bus before... stopped right in front of the building and the door was open. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the only happen that way. It's the only explanation. No. Um, so Either I way, but I, I would like to bring up, Did am I the only one that noticed when Winthorpe uh, ran from Valentine's office with the gun 
in, waving in the air and he's screaming in, and he's in the Santa suit. He jumps up onto the table. Yes. Am I the only one that knows that wasn't a table? Because what there's no fucking way at hat momentum he is going to land on the top of that table without that table tipping over, collapsing, and throwing him through the room. Oh, Never crossed yeah. my mind. Me neither. Of course it didn't. <laughs> what mind? You, I set you up. I set you up and you missed it. What mind? That that was your answer. How exciting. Uh, so uh, I think we what? should send it. I say we send it on this one. I'll edit the very beginning like we normally do with the song in the Disaster Peace Theater. And then I say we just send this one. Fuck it. We won't edit anything. I say we just give it to him right between the eyes. You no want to give people that raw bullshit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for I this one. Should. Yeah, I want to hear one. I want to hear that tomorrow when we're working yeah. in Mansfield. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Fuck you. Fucking listen to it the way it is. I'm sick of staying up all night and editing this shit. You don't care. You don't care and I don't care. Let's not fool each other. You don't you don't love me. I don't love you. Just oh take this God. take this podcast as it comes. Dirty, broken, uneducated. Just like me. Okay. <laughs> I knew Mark that was that. going somewhere. Mark that. Mark that. Okay, there's our intro. Winthorpe <laughs> attempts suicide by overdosing on some of the pills he planned to frame Billy Ray with. Valentine, Ophelia, and Winthorpe's former butler, Coleman, nurse him back to health and inform him of the Duke's experiment. After taking Winthorpe out of his plan to hunt the Dukes down and shoot them with one of his shotguns, they learn that Clarence Beak is transporting a secret report he'd stolen on the orange crop forecasts. Clarence Beak and Valentine recall large payments made to Beaks by the Dukes, and they realize the Dukes are planning to illegally obtain this report to corner the market on the frozen orange juice. The group agrees to disrupt their plan as revenge. Learning of Beak's New Year's Eve travel plans, the four get aboard his train to switch the report in Beak's possession with a forgery. Winthorpe, Valentine, Ophelia, and Coleman all wear bizarre clothing and disguises to try to swipe his briefcase. At a costume party being thrown on the train, Beaks wises up and uncovers their scheme. In chasing them, he attempts to eliminate them. He fails, is subdued, and the group dresses him up in a gorilla suit Locking him in a cage with a real gorilla, the forged crop report is then successfully driven to the Dukes. Okay. So these are great scenes. All these scenes are great scenes. I mean, uh, uh, Biff Jucky time. I fucking love all this. Um, fucking, we get some really great Jim Belushi here. He's awesome, man. Fucking love me some Jim Belushi. Monkey. Uh, Monkey. I'm a fucking gorilla, you clown. Oh, and I, I love, I love, um, what's his name? Al Franken and the other guy arguing. It's my turn to drive. No, it isn't. Yes, it Franken is. Franken and Davis. You drove it last time. I drove it like two feet. Doesn't matter. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's shorter. These guys are fucking great. Ooh, look, I think that, I think, the, I think that one's the female. <laughs> it's fucking, it's just good stuff. It's good stuff. Oh, what do you got on these okay. scenes, Glenn? 
Um, so yeah, again, could do without the blackface, but everything else is very funny. Um, this is pre coming to America. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I have to assume that this, uh, Cameroon character (laughs) might've, might've influenced his coming to America stuff because it was pretty funny. Um, I love Jamie Lee Curtis as the the Swiss girl or whatever she's doing. It's hilarious. Yeah, they, they changed it because she couldn't do the original accent. accent. Yes, so yep. they they switched. <laughs> they put her in German minute. clothes. And yes. she had to do a Swedish accent. She couldn't do a German accent. <laughs> Did you guys Absolutely. notice how phenomenal her tits were in this movie? Oh God, low hanging fruit. Specifically a- in the red dress when she brings home uh, Louis the first time. Wow. That woman's got some cans. You know, I I would have thought that between the two of us, Des, I would have brought that up. But I thought it would be a little, be a little inappropriate. Yeah, that's maybe just you could wife. be a little bit more respectful. Yeah, no, it would have been nice. No, no. yeah, well, no, apparently no. not. I mean, no. yes, she's beautiful, and her body hey, was beautiful. Hey, oh, hey, she hey. was smoking hot. There's no mm-hmm. question yeah. about it. You got to see her twice, and yes. it was enjoyable each time. Now, keep in <laughs> mind, was. keep in mind. This came out in 83. Yes. I was 17. And when you're seeing this in the movie theater, you're going home with happy memories. I was 13 <laughs> and I was going home directly to the bathroom with a fucking JCPenney catalog. <laughs> TMI, my friend. TMI. Okay. Oh, help me. Help me. Uh, I have to live with this. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> I have and all the pity forget, in the we world we have a date for later. You. <laughs> so you thought... <laughs> Yeah, you have a date later with your hand. And the JCPenney catalog. And the JCPenney catalog, exactly. Uh, okay, Might you guys keep anything the else cat on this? Out. No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, Winthorpe and Valentine traveled to New York's Wall Street and to the commodities trading floor to execute their plan. Winthorpe and Valentine are able to turn an enormous profit while the Dukes, misled by the false report, commit all their holdings to the venture and incur a loss of $394 million in profits. Now, I imagine that would be, Jesus, got like to be close million. to almost a, no, almost a billion dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, it would be times you, three. Yeah, it would be a lot of money. Before we go much further, can I bring up the choking scene that we completely dismissed? Yes, yes. Oh, man. Winthorpe gets saved uh, by the doctor. His stomach's pumped. He's not going to overdose. And he wakes up in his bed, and he thinks it's just a big dream. And you can hear the, 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 the soft tone of his voice. Oh, it was just a dream. Everybody hated me. And it was because of this... Awful, terrible Negro. And I was laughing my ass off because the camera immediately goes to Eddie Murphy, whose face went from a smile to a frown with that one word. It was so funny. It's one of my favorite scenes, and it's more memorable now uh, when we were at work one day telling me how your wife was choking you and you were uh, reciting, it was the dukes, it was the dukes, like in the movie. So every time I see that scene... Now I can picture her hands around your <laughs> neck, and it's awesome. Twice as funny. Twice oh, as funny. Oh, good. Yes, she has choked me on several occasions, and I have said, it was the dogs, it was the dogs. As okay. well you should. Um, so let's see. We were on the train. 
Yes, we were. Winthorpe and Valentine have just traveled to New York. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pat interrupted me. Uh, okay, so the Dukes, they lose out on $394 million of profits. The Dukes confront Valentine and Winthorpe on the exchange floor, who mockingly explain they have made a wager of just $1, which I guess would be about $3 back then. <laughs> Uh, they wager on whether they could get rich while also impoverishing the Dukes. Uh, Valentine collects his prize money from Winthorpe while Randolph collapses from a heart attack, showing almost no concern. Ah, fuck him. For his ailing brother, Mortimer protests their seats on the exchange are put up for sale. Their assets are seized and their holdings are frozen. Meanwhile, Beaks and the Griller are located on a shipping dock and loaded onto a ship <laughs> headed to Africa while Valentine, Winthorpe, Ophelia, and Coleman all enjoy luxurious tropical vacation. You like how I'm now able to fucking add lines that aren't in the script to try and make my misreads work? <laughs> I'm more amazed at how you can leapfrog from 20 minutes into the movie to an hour into the movie to an hour <laughs> and a half into the movie. <laughs> Listen, all man. Two, all of, you've you've basically given us this movie in three scenes. Listen, I didn't write this script. I just attempted to read it. Okay, I purposely left it very bare bones because I figured we were gonna all talk about the scenes that we liked, and uh, yeah, I didn't that's want it to I be we three hours long. Too, but uh, Captain Longwinded over here was over here. Uh, yeah, over there. We'll talk about it, kid. That's what you're here for. What do you got to say? Back it up. Go forward. Jump in your fucking DeLorean, man. Go back fucking 20 minutes. Let's let's talk about uh, Coleman playing the Irish priest. <laughs> and that hat. Oh, oh no. The God, beef jerky hat. gives me the gas. Something terrible. <laughs> Would you like some beef jerky? Oh, no. It gives me the wind. Something terrible. Yeah. He did a great Irish accent. And... and this is something I just happened to see. And through the entire movie, Clarence Beaks is this angry, volatile, physically punishing person. So how is it when he's on the train and uh, Franken and Davis pull up and the, and the gorilla is now looking right inside at Clarence Beaks, how is it Clarence Beaks turns into a two-year-old and starts mocking the gorilla. Because he's a dick. It's what he does. He's the kind of guy that would fucking, like, work up the monkeys at the fucking zoo. He's the kind of guy that, like, would get a little kid going, like, on the train by making faces at him. He's a bad guy. The woman comes up to him at the payphone, and he says, hold on a second. He looks over and goes, fuck off. I fucking oh, love that's, this guy. That's nothing. That's nothing compared to when he gets the nod from Randolph and Mortimer up in the second story window while he's on the corner and he starts to walk towards Lewis, he literally puts his hand on the face of somebody that's walking into him and pushes this person to the ground. To the ground. Not the just ground. away, to the ground. Yeah, I'm assault. like, oh my God, this guy's an asshole. I loved him. I fucking loved him. Oh my God. Clar uh, Clarence Peaks was was definitely the dick you wanted to hate. I mean, the bad guys you could hate for multiple reasons. You hate the Dukes because they're racist and they're arrogant and they think everyone is below them. You hate Winthorpe in the beginning because he's a pampered poodle. I don't. And 
But did we all come around on Winthorpe? I came around on Winthorpe when he um, when he woke up from the dream and realized what that it wasn't a dream, and then he just got angry, and he's now he's ready to kneecap the Dukes as he's cleaning out his shotgun. But you he can't go around re- shooting people in the shotgun, uh, shooting people in the knee with a shotgun. But he hasn't Why? redeemed himself. He hasn't redeemed himself as a human being. There's no reason to get on his side. I mean, I'm on Ophelia's side. I'm on Billy Ray's side. But, you know, I mean, I guess I'm on his side because he's the only one that can really pull this plan off. But he's still just a scumbag right to the end. Is um, he like I, this with you? Is he always on the opposite side of the fence with you too? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I okay. also find it to be um, interesting that so Beeks tells the Dukes that the rest of his money is due on arrival in cash, yes. which means they get Coleman's cash, they get Ophelia's cash, and the Duke's own cash right, right. to do yeah. to pull this and off. It's, and it's That's funny, so sweet. It's funny because Wikipedia actually did an entire paragraph trying to explain how they did what they did at um because I find it confusing. House. Yeah, I find it, it confusing. It is kind of confusing, but they actually said that when they bought all the stocks, they didn't have to worry about covering them uh, because they didn't have any money for them. They're selling futures they don't own knowing that they're going to buy them all back so they don't have to worry about it. But Wikipedia actually said that they didn't have any money with them, that they bought these stocks with no money. Oh, they were selling stock futures with no money, but no, they, they had did. the money. Exactly. That's why I'm bringing this up because Wikipedia eh, got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Because at the train station, Coleman gives the envelope His to Billy Ray to and yeah. Ophelia gives the envelope to um, Winthorpe. And, yeah, and that's it's, it. It's, 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 it's actually kind of, when you think about it, if you read the, read the story, um, they, they did everything they needed to to screw the Dukes and make themselves rich in the process. Well, presumably, if the Dukes lost $389 million on the orange juice debacle, that means that Billy Ray and Winthorpe probably made close to $300 million on that exactly because that was their direct competition. Because they did what the Dukes were trying to do. Yes. Exactly. They're the ones that cornered the market. Yeah. Well, and they did it so, opposite. Yeah. Right. And in doing so, giving the Dukes the fake report destroyed them. Correct. So, Lynn, did you come around on Winthorpe by the end of the movie? I mean, yes and no. You know, he obviously cared about Ophelia. You know, they could have parted ways once they got the money. And, and would have. together. And what if there's no way this Harvard graduate snob is going to marry, um, uh, you know, uh, a a whore. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, she is. She's a whore. She's a sex worker. She's a sex worker. She's not a whore. Okay. Enough with the PC bullshit. She's a sex worker. So okay, whatever. Valid work. My God, you're a prostitute. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, I meant whore in the nicest possible way. So I mean, yeah, sure if you're you listening, did. if you're Where'd listening to the from? podcast and you're a whore, I didn't mean any um, disrespect. <laughs> you know who's a whore? You. <laughs> oh uh, my god. Um, okay. Okay. So, okay. So the new format is we just don't give a fuck. I can eat oh. it. 
<laughs> okay, let's uh let's recast this thing. Oh shit, um, I didn't get ready for that. Oh, I've got a great one. So I would replace Dan Aykroyd with Tom Hanks, right? Uh-huh. Okay. I can see that. Okay. Pat, what do you got? <laughs> I would I would replace uh Dan Aykroyd with Gene Wilder, and I would replace Eddie Murphy with <laughs> go All right, Pat, go ahead. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> he says, I don't think so. I don't Pat, think so. do it. Just give us some people. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> He's the second one. Let's just let's one. let's do let's do uh replace Coleman with um Arthur Moore. From from Arthur? Yeah. Dudley okay. Moore. Oh Dudley. <laughs> Dudley Moore's his name. Okay, Dudley Moore. <laughs> a little young, maybe a little young. Where's, to play where the, where uh, the hell's that bald? I thought you were talking about the uh, the butler in Arthur. No, that's <laughs> a lot of dude. There's been a lot of odd silence breaks in this podcast. Yeah, today. yeah there is. <laughs> this this fucking is just so weird. Dylan, do you, you want to take a stab okay, at yeah, this? Yeah, I'll take, uh, I guess I will. Um, I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm not replacing her because I thought that she didn't do a good job because I love her in everything anyways. She's awesome. Uh, but I would replace her with Rebecca De Mornay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Miranda, she's the one, she's <laughs> Thank a... you for being so excited about my no, choice. Isn't she the one that played the prostitute in Risky Business? Yes. Okay, that's no why good. that's why it works. <laughs> yeah, she was the whore in risky business. <laughs> oh, stop! Please, okay. oh, dude, like we're like we're offending the whore fucking community. I yeah, mean, you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose that genre, man. That'd yeah, be like, brutal. If we lose all the whores, we'll be down to six listeners. <laughs> all right, um, we already are. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so let's do some final thoughts and some rewatch scores for our for our final episode before we're canceled. Um, so I had Bye fun you. watching. I had, <laughs> I had fun watching this movie Somebody again. Would actually, have to hear us. In okay. order us to <laughs> so I shouldn't worry about anything. I mean, no. <laughs> all right. Unless you're not Pat important are enough to give a shit about. Unless Pat and I are infended at work tomorrow, we should be okay, right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. Um, so I had fun watching this movie again, but oh boy, this kind of comedy could not be made today. And uh, I don't know, man. Maybe everybody just takes takes everything just too seriously now. I don't know. I mean... It's fun. It's funny. It's lowbrow humor, but it's satire. I don't think there were any malicious uh, intentions when making this movie. Um, does it make it right? No. Does it make it any less funny? No. It's funny. It's fucking good. It's a good movie. Uh, with that being said, this is Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd in their primes. And so for that reason, my rewatch score is 4.37. It's a fucking great movie. If you have thin skin, if you're easily fucking offended, if you're 
if you're <laughs> then you shouldn't be listening to our show. <laughs> yeah, put it this if way. You if, in this. if this podcast didn't offend you, go ahead and watch the movie. You're safe. <laughs> Pat, go ahead, you fucking whore. <laughs> I am not a whore, I'm a prostitute. Oh god, I'm a sex worker. No, I'm just a slut. Oh, um, fuck. This this movie, uh, along with um, Archie Bunker, you can put him in the same category. At the time, it was funny, but it can't be done now because there are just too many sensitive babies out there that words and, and offend. And it's wrong. And it's wrong. And it's wrong. Um <laughs> There's, there's oh, a lot geez, of funny yeah. about this movie that you can't take it seriously. You can't take the Duke seriously. You can't take, uh, when, I mean, God help. You can't take Winthrop seriously. Are you fucking kidding me? Um, and if you can't take that seriously, then you can't take anything else serious about the movie. It's not a serious movie. It's a funny movie. It shows the differences between the rich and the poor to an extreme that makes you laugh about it. I mean, how can the Dukes be the way they are? How is it? You know what I mean? That's just, it's absurd. So you can't take it seriously at all. I'm going to go with a 4.7. I'd give it a five, but I've watched other movies instead of it. Yeah. It's not, it's not quite a five. Uh, There's a section of this movie Right about the time when Winthorpe wakes up after the choking, it was the Dukes. There's about 20 minutes of this movie that kind of gets a little flat. And it reminds me of Stripes when they go on the mission in the mobile home. It's like, it gets a little flat. It's a tale of two movies. Dylan, what do you got? So, um, you know, as I said at the top of the... um, podcast you know there's racism in this movie and you couldn't make this movie without the racism because that's the topic right and as pat said it is satire it's meant to be laughed at both you know the good and the bad it's satire it's a dark comedy it's you know um you have to understand that you might see something that offends you in a dark comedy or a satire that wouldn't be a satire or dark comedy if it didn't, right? It would just right, yeah. be a flat piece of milk toast. And what's the point at that point? Um, you know, definitely I had a little, like I swallowed my tongue when Dan Aykroyd came out in blackface. Because <laughs> I, I, I had forgotten. And so I saw it and I was like, holy shit. But I also understand it was a different time. It was done with people there that said nothing about it at the time and fucking Ackroyd has gone on record saying that he wouldn't do it if given the chance today. So good enough. Um, I think I'm that scoring. would be best. Yeah. I'm going to score yes. it a little bit lower than you guys though. Cause I'm not quite as in love with it as you guys are. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.75. 3.75. Mm-hmm. I'll be glad when this one's over, man. I'm sweating. Uh, Dylan, will you please calculate those scores? Yes, I will. This one comes out to 4.27333. And on the list, that will put it at 4.27. It is going to be at number 18, which is right under True Lies and right above A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Mm. Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis ends up coming in right at this place every time. I can accept that's, those. Numbers. That's crazy. That so it's Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee, right? No, she's not Nightmare on Elm Street. She's oh, uh, I thought it was Halloween. Halloween. I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought it was Halloween. All right. So what place was that again? Numerically, eighteen. <laughs> eighteen. Eighteen. Do you want to know where Black Christmas is? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. This is above Black Christmas. Black Christmas is at twenty-two now. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's happy with that. Yeah. So this week on Breaking Vinyl, we did Michael Jackson's Thriller, and believe it or not, I think it was even more inappropriate than this podcast. Like it was <laughs> fucked up. It was a fucked up podcast. This was a fucked up podcast. It was a strange week. Uh, we will be back next week. Where we will be doing uh, Love Actually with Mickey. And is Tony going to join us? I don't know. We're going to go from trading places to Love Actually. <laughs> oh, God. I've never seen it. I don't even know what it is. I don't know it's who's in rom-com, it. It's a rom-com, basically. It's a Christmas rom-com. It. I know nothing about it. Um, sure. I'm going to have to do a little editing. I don't feel comfortable um, with everything. So if you're still listening and you haven't turned us off yet, we now have a YouTube channel. It is basically right now just the episodes. If you'd rather listen to us on YouTube than through your podcast provider, that is now an option for you. Feel free. It's very easy to find us. Hey, did you ever see that movie? Um, maybe at some point we'll do some videos or something and, and upload stuff. But right now it's just the episodes. But, you know, go and subscribe. And if something fun pops up, you'll see it. Yes. Yes, and uh, if you like music, go check out our sister podcast, Breaking Vinyl. You can find it anywhere. Quality podcasts are fucking found. <laughs> <laughs> the quality like just gets down and down and down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us again. And until next time, I just have one question for you. Why are you listening to this? See you later. <laughs>